when our daughter Isabella, who's now 18, was about three years old, we joined the community pool. Some of you might be part of a community pool. And as we went to the pool and hung out, um, one of the things that she learned to do or had learned is, was to be able to jump off the side of the wall into the pool. Some of you remember that. It's scary, especially when you're around three. And so I remember to this day how she would stand on the edge of the pool with her toes just tipping over the edge, and I would be in the water with my arms wide open, and I would say, I'm here. Dad, Dad will catch you. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Don't be afraid. You got this. And, and she would back off, and she wouldn't jump in. And repeatedly, you know, we did the same. It was okay. And she would, and then finally, I remember the time that she jumped in and I caught her just as I said I would. That same kind of trust that was built there carried over to the diving board. And I remember when she was older and there I was treading water in the deep end with my arms up. Please hurry, honey. Dad's, you know. And then remember when she jumped off the diving board and I caught her and we swam over to the side together. And then it was doing it on your own and then, you know, driving and all of the things that you would expect as your child grows and has more confidence and more trust, not only in us, but in themselves. It takes a lot of trust to jump off the edge of a pool into the water when you're a child. And it takes a lot of trust for us to do the things that we do in this world. And we pray that there is God, open arms, saying, you got this. Trust me. I'll catch you. I will help you walk, I will help you run, and I will help you to soar. Have you ever questioned whether you could trust someone? Have you ever questioned whether you could trust an organization or a company and its products? What about the government? What about other Christians who might differ from you in the way that you believe? Or people from other faiths and you're cynical or skeptical? Or have you ever thought about questioning God? I imagine we have all experienced this at some point or another. And if so, you are not alone. You are in the right place. We live in a world, it is broken, and we live in a world where trust is often questioned, breached, abused, and misused, and misunderstood. And we established last Sunday, as we began the series called Trusting, that trust is the keystone of healthy relationships. We're spending the entire month of September focusing on this theme of trust. 
And I hope and pray that these messages will be helpful and redemptive. And my prayer is that with God's help, that Christians and churches can embody a sustainable culture of trust. It's like when someone meets somebody from Huguenot Road Baptist Church, they say, oh, I've, I've heard about your church. There's good people there. I remember, and they tell a story about how a church member served them or ministered to them in some way. I remember, as some said in Dot Thacker's service yesterday, what it was like to place my baby in the trusting arms of Dot Thacker, who led the nursery those years ago. That culture of trust is so important. We must not ever take it for granted. There's a world that is skeptical and cynical of the church, and often it is you and me that can help overcome their distrust and cynicism. And perhaps they would come to be a part of what God is doing in and through Huguenot Road Baptist Church. Last Sunday, we did a little foundational work establishing that trust is the keystone of healthy relationships. And we remembered that the keystone is part of the structure and uh, a stone arch, if you will, and that the keystone is at the very top and it holds the entire structure together. Without the keystone, it will fall. And we remember that there is a symbolic keystone uh, in the molding constructed in our building at the arch, just above where I'm standing. And there's also one over the baptism area, reminding us of the importance of the keystone in not only architecture, but in church architecture, pointing to Jesus, who is referred to as the cornerstone, but also as the keystone of our faith. We are saying that trust is the keystone of healthy relationships. And today we're asking, how do we build trust? Next Sunday we'll ask, how do we rebuild trust when it's been broken? And then we'll conclude the series asking, how can we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ? I want to remind you of a definition of trust that I find very helpful, and we shared it last Sunday, and that is uh, by Charles Feltman in his book, Thin Book of Trust, that trust is the choice to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's action. Trust is the choice to risk making something you value vulnerable to another person's action. And Feltman said that there are four basic elements of trust, foundational elements. Sincerity, that uh, when someone is sincere, they are genuine, they are honest, and act with the utmost of integrity. So we're looking for sincerity. We're looking for a reliable person, someone who has a consistent track record and keeps their commitments. I consistently would catch Isabella when she jumped off the side of the pool. And over time, she began to gain confidence to go to the diving board, for example. Trust involves confidence when someone has the capacity or the skill set or the knowledge and abilities to help fulfill the promise that, our, that they are making. 
And we, we said that God is able, that God is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine, as the Apostle Paul says. And then the fourth basic element, Feltman says, is care. When someone has our very best interest in mind within the relationship or the commitment being made, do they genuinely care about me and you? Or are they just paying lip service? Or is it just to make more profit or to sell more goods? Do they genuinely care about me at Huguenot Road Baptist Church? Or are they just out after numbers in their attendance and in their budget dollars? These are questions that are very important to ask as we think about the foundational elements of trust. I'd like to look at the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4 as sort of a brief case study in trusting. A few contextual things that might be a help. You heard me read that Jesus had to go through Samaria and that I emphasized had to. Jesus knew that he desired the disciples to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. In Acts chapter 1, as he appeared to them after the resurrection, before the ascension, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and the ends of the earth. He knew that his purpose was beyond the Jewish faith. It was to the ends of the earth. And so here in John 4, we see him modeling this before his disciples. He had to go through Samaria. The Samaritan people were enemies with Jews. Neither liked each other. And it went back hundreds of years. The Jewish people considered the Samaritans not a pure race because of years of intermarrying. The uh, Jewish people had intermarried with others during the previous exile, and now they are uh, not considered pure people. They looked at them as half. So there's all of this enmity and strife that had gone on for years. And Jesus, instead of taking the long way around that the Jews would take, he took the short way right through the country. Typically, they would go to the east and cross over the River Jordan and then go up to the north, passing any uh, possibility of going through Samaria. And then they would cut back over, crossing the Jordan and cut back over to the west and then head up to Galilee. But Jesus took his disciples straight through into what they would have considered enemy territory. The scripture says that it's noon uh, we, or, or Others would say the sixth hour. And that's interesting because most women would go to the well together, perhaps earlier in the morning, and it would be somewhat of a social time and also a time where there would be some uh, uh, washing of, of clothes and doing chores and gathering water and then go back to the village. But this woman went at noon by herself, probably shunned by her community. And 
Jesus arrives with his disciples. He says, go on to the village and get some food. And by the way, I think that was a critical point in this story because he's telling his disciples to go in and interact with a vendor in a village that was an enemy. So they were to go and purchase food from people they didn't like. So there's all kinds of boundaries, socio-cultural boundaries that Jesus is breaking here in this story. Another very important thing to pay attention to is that Jesus sat down when he arrived. He was tired and weary, of course, but he sat down. When the woman came to the well to gather her water, perhaps Jesus, in a posture uh, of kneeling or sitting, would have made her feel more comfortable and less anxious. If he were standing, perhaps she wouldn't have even approached the well to begin with out of fear for this strange man whom she didn't know or trust. So in verse 7 of the passage, Jesus asks this Samaritan woman for a drink. He didn't bring a container, so he would have had to rely on her to, to provide water to him. That would be in close proximity to someone who a rabbi, a Jewish rabbi, would not be permitted to deal with, to be in the presence of. It was, it, she would be unrich, make him ritually unclean for on a number of accounts. So you can imagine why she would have responded with some suspicion and doubt and questioned Jesus with uh, regard to his motivations. Uh, you are a Jew, in verse 9, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then John, uh, in parentheses, reminds us that Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Well, Jesus, Jesus validates the gift of God and references living water. But, of course, she didn't understand right yet and responded, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is very deep. It's not running water. You had to send your receptacle down into the well uh, to draw it out. In other words, maybe she's saying, who are you and what is your true motivation? How can I trust you? I imagine there was a lot more to this conversation than what we have recorded in Scripture. That it went on for quite some time. And that Jesus was kind and uh, gentle and respectful and helped her to feel comfortable in his presence. Verse 15. After Jesus tells her about living water. She says, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. And then he says, call your husband and come back. Okay, so there was this exchange of conversation back and forth, but then he 
start to meddle and says, why don't you call your husband and come back? And she says, I have no husband. She's probably ashamed. And then Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And then she said, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. She recognized something different in Jesus. I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but, it, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And then Jesus began to help teach her that there is a time and a place where we will come together and there will not be worship in a temple or on a particular mountain, but that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. And in, in other words, uh, Jesus is saying to her, God accepts you right where you are and wants you to worship from your heart, not through any particular place or temple or mountain. When he acknowledged something very personal in her life, she knew that this was more than just a man who had come for a drink of water or who had come out of some other uh, intent, but rather that that this is a man of God, that he is a prophet, that he is the real deal. And then in the course of this conversation, Jesus expresses to her who he is. The woman in verse 25 says, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And then Jesus in verse 26 said, I who speak to you am he in enemy territory at an hour where no woman would come to the well and where a man of his stature, a Jewish rabbi, wouldn't be seen in her company or asked for water and so on. She begins to trust him, and he trusts her with the news that he is the Messiah. And then the rest of the story is that she left. She dropped her water receptacle and went back to her village and shared with their community that this man was the real deal, who he was. And many people came back. I believe she dropped her receptacle there because she knew that she needed to come back and see this Jesus, the Christ, this Messiah. And over the next several days, we know that Jesus went back to their village. I think two days he was there. And many people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord through the testimony of this woman. All of this happened. Because Jesus was one who is trustworthy. Jesus could be trusted. He was the real deal. Y'all, the world is looking for the real deal. The world is looking for genuine Christians who love Jesus and who love others, as we are called to in Scripture, not judging people, not holding 
whatever's in their past or in their present against them, but just to to be present and to love as Jesus would have us to love. And when we do that over uh, consistently over a period of time, then the uh, level of trust as as Christians and in our churches increases, that we are able to see a sustainable culture of trust in our congregation, that people can say, oh, by the way, I've heard that Huguenot Road Baptist Church is a very loving church. They're good people there. You can count on them. Let me tell you about how they helped us in our time of need. So out of this case study, if you will, of Jesus and the Samaritan woman, I want to just offer very simply seven essential qualities of trust in our relationships. That if we can incorporate these into our relationships with family and with friends and with church members and others, that we will start to see the level of trust raised among us. That there first is a genuine care and concern, just like Jesus expressed a genuine care and concern for the Samaritan woman. Uh, This is something other people want to see in us. Do we really care? Second, that we are honest, that we are an open book, that we tell the truth. If we don't, how can we expect people to believe us the next time? So we want to genuinely care and we want to be honest. My wife has all my passcodes. She can get into my phone. She can read whatever she wants. I'm an open book. We've got to be honest in our relationships. Third, vulnerability is a key element of trust in relationships. You heard me say earlier when we are vulnerable because there is a risk when we trust. There's a risk that we could get hurt. But nonetheless, trust involves vulnerability. Fourth, there's a mutual respect. I see here in Jesus. He doesn't look down on the Samaritan woman, but sees her as a valued person. He acknowledges some of the challenges she's experienced in her past and in her present, but he does not belittle her or judge her or condemn her. He sees her as a valued person, one who is respected, and she offers that same to him. Fifth, there's clear communication. How often do we miscommunicate or don't listen or don't understand or try to understand? And there is a wedge driven in a relationship because of that. So I see in this story very uh, clear communication. Jesus was very open and honest with his communication about why he was there. Sixth, there's humility here. Jesus began, or Jesus uh, started out in a seated position, which is a position of humility, that she would not be afraid or anxious about his presence. And then seventh, I see a reciprocity, um, a give and take here. 
there's responsibility of both. Responsibility for Jesus to uphold the truth of what he has told her about and that she is faithful to believe it and share it. At the end of the Gospel of Matthew, in the 25th chapter, there is scripture where Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous would answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you sick and in prison and visit you? And Jesus said, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these sisters and brothers of mine, you did for me. There is a give and take as we serve in a trusting relationship, and Jesus models that. When we look at these qualities of trust in our relationships, I see the qualities of Jesus. I see the character and integrity of Jesus. And he is all of these and much more. He is trustworthy and is relentless in his pursuit of loving us and catching us with open arms, as you heard our, in our skit earlier, helping us to get up and to walk and to run and to soar. Those who hope in the Lord or those who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. They will soar as, as if they were on wings of eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And I believe that all happens because of his amazing grace. And that's what we're going to sing today is our hymn of response, number 